Hello listeners, welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks to Matt McKeever for sponsoring Explore FI Canada. Matt is a Canadian investor, CPA, entrepreneur and real estate expert who achieved fire at age 31. Do us a favor and check out his YouTube channel by searching Matt McKeever or using the link in our show notes. It's great to be back again on Explorify Canada. Money Mechanic is with you and my fantastic co-host, Chrissy. Hello. Hi, Money Mechanic. How are you doing? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Beautiful spring weather over on the West Coast here. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guest today is from the other side of our fair country, so that's awesome too. But before we start that, we should really get our frame of mind in tune for this episode, don't you think, Chrissy? Yes, it's a very unique episode in a good way. I, I'm quite excited to share our guest content with everyone. Okay, well, let's take a, a minute here and collect our thoughts and get zen. In this first visualization, you will tune in to what gaining financial independence and retiring early feels like day to day. Find a quiet place to sit for the next few minutes, a place indoors or outdoors where you can be private. Rest with your eyes mostly closed. Sitting quietly, start to focus on your breath. Feel how it is coming in and out of your nose. Notice it some more, just gently feeling it. In and out, in and out, and in and out. Great job. Continue to be present to your breath, breathing in and out as you follow along with the images I will describe. I want you to imagine a world where you are already financially free meaning that you have enough money in the bank for your basic needs and way more besides. A world where the proceeds from your investment money is enough for you to live off of that income alone. As you sit here, breathing deeply and slowly into your belly, feel what this financially free and abundant existence feels like. Breathe in and breathe out and in and out. Wow. I feel very focused on fire right now, Chrissy. I can visualize it. I can see it. I can see how I feel. I'm ready to go. (laughs) This is going to be awesome because we're going to talk about more than the math today. We're going to talk about how we feel and our thoughts about fire and abundance and the joy that it brings to our lives and and just kind of get a little more Mm touchy-feely. I'm so excited for this. I mean, you and I talk about this all the time, how there's the whole psychology side of FI and fire, and we don't touch on that enough, and it's so important. So that's what we're going to dive into today. Yeah, and the guest we have from the other side of the country, from Nova Scotia, Anne's joining us. She is the author of the clip you heard. She's got an audiobook called Find Your Freedom with Fire, Save, Invest, and Manifest Your Way to Easy Street. Welcome to the show, Anne. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here. I think of myself as the unlikely fire journeyer who could. <laughs> nice. That's a good description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't fit all of the parameters to be on a fire journey, I feel like maybe from the outside, but it's brought so much goodness to my life and so much inner peace and happiness. And I'm just really excited to help other people who may not think that fire is for them or that they can get their way into it to discover a gentle way into fire. That's great. And I I just want to read for our audience something you wrote to us in an email just as your own description of yourself. You said, you are a creative nonprofit sector worker who woke up at age 40 to the possibilities of designing the second half of my life with a lot of intention and care. 
financially speaking. And I think that sums you up and how you said that you are not the typical fire seeker. You're not like Mr. Money Mustache, even though you're a big fan of his. You're mm -hmm. not that stereotypical <laughs> fire person. So tell us a little bit more about how you got to fire and where you were before you discovered fire. Okay. Well, I grew up in London, Ontario. My parents are academics and artists and they had me in this really kind of avant-garde art world. Uh, the main artist was this amazing man, Greg Kernow. He was one of like the, the sort of bad guys of the 1970s art world in Canada. And uh, so it was a really unusual and in some ways like rebellious childhood where I got to hear all of these different ways of being and thinking. And uh, I also had I grew up within a church, so I was going to a United Church. So there was a spirituality element. And then I was learning to sing. So I was getting classical voice lessons from the age of 12 onwards and quite serious about that. So there's like a lot of different factors, I feel like, <laughs> that went into creating my life. And then my big move as a young adult was to go to Toronto and do a master's degree in a sociocultural and medical anthropology. So I was comparing systems of medicine cross-culturally, uh, which was wonderful. And honestly, I might've continued in that and I may still go back to academia at some point and study something and do a doctorate. However, it was the 2000s in Toronto and the thing to do was play in indie rock bands. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> I really just like full tilt went like, kind of a late bloomer like I just like had my wild youth in my 20s in Toronto playing in a couple different indie rock bands writing my own music singing jazz in clubs in Toronto and also doing opera uh competitions wow <laughs> so cool. it was it was a ton of fun it yeah. was great but um you know it was very hand to mouth it's that idea of like artistic expression before everything and you make a lot of sacrifices so that you can spend the most amount of time possible on exploring ways of expressing yourself. So I eventually realized that it was all a little bit too fast paced for me. And I left, I went back to London, Ontario for a year. And then I kid you not, and I'm just preempting if you might ask me, why did you move to the East Coast? <laughs> I started dreaming about the ocean. <laughs> there was this big sparkly purple, like ship that I would see <laughs> like recurring dreams of this and I, would, you. <laughs> and I would be like trying to like slash my way through this like narrow river and then I would see it in the distance so when my friend got into art college NASCAD here in Halifax then I decided to move with him and just see what it was like to live on the ocean I switched at that point to a business side of myself and I was actually running a translation business for a while and that's why I could move. So I definitely have like that business side of myself and I flexed those muscles a bit being the go-between on these really big translation jobs. And this was before the 2007-8 crash. So businesses were in expansion mode and it was quite easy to get these jobs. I always joked that it supported my music habit. <laughs> um, but then once I moved here, I got involved with the nonprofit sector. And that was just really wonderful, like starting a charity from scratch over the course of an eight year arc. And I also started some youth festivals and uh, yeah, just did a lot of work. However, when it came time for me to part ways with that organization, and it's totally amicable, but it is my ex partner, so he's running it, <laughs> then I sort of looked around and I was like, wait a second, I don't own a home, like I don't have savings, I don't really know, like, you know, what's the next step here? Like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to tour as a musician for all of my adult life either, because I'm quite high sensitive. So yeah, that's sort of that, sorry if it's a long answer, but those are all the different things <laughs> that brought me to this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I love your story. It's, it sounds like uh, it's, similar for a lot of creative people where they're, yeah. you're, you're living life and you're enjoying life. You're, you're so into your passion that that's what your life is. And it takes a while sometimes to wake up to the financial side of it because you're, 
you're just in there and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. You lived your life. You're happy. <laughs> Obviously you, you really took it in. Yeah. And so, so you, you reached this place where you um, had your breakout with your partner. And I guess that triggered the next phase of your journey into um, your finances. It was definitely a reality check, you know, cause suddenly I had to cover all of the expenses under my own roof. And of course I was processing emotionally to get into that emotional side of things. There can be a real financial cost when you're just having to spend a lot of time taking care of yourself. So yeah, I would say I drifted for a year or two. I was still working part-time for the charity and uh, I started to do a bit of Airbnb. So that was good. I was like covering my rent that way. And it was right around that time that I discovered uh, Mr. Money Mustache. <laughs> common theme. Common theme. Right? Yeah. Very common. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I wish I could remember like the exact moment or like what led me there, or, you know, but yeah, suddenly I was I was in that world and there was such a nice element to it. It actually reminded me a lot of my childhood, like just that sort of DIY aesthetic and having fun out in nature because I used to always just like travel Canada with my parents in a, a orange Volkswagen van. I love it. Perfect. <laughs> that was like the iconic, yeah, 80s childhood times. And and I liked the way that he was an independent thinker and he had come up with a way to make living in modern times like just a bit more gentle and a bit more manageable and and not always striving, but you make these really intelligent decisions and then you're fine like <laughs> you're taken care of financially and yeah so i was just so inspired and it gave me a zest for life like it made me kind of have some goals and yeah i i gently start but it took me a few years to really start like implementing so and now what year was that when you discovered mr money mustache oh okay oh that's such a good question i'm i'm so like artsy flowy sometimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> just the range yeah. i think it's, sometimes it's helpful to know oh, how gosh. long you've been on the journey and yeah. how long it took you to get to where you are right now so it would have been about five years ago okay yeah okay. it would have been five years ago and so for that first few years, I was just really learning about it. And then I would say I, four to three years ago, I took the really intense steps to get myself out of debt completely. You know, I really did the thing. Like I switched my housing into a three bedroom rather than a two bedroom and had like two roommates. And I wrote down every single thing. I went on the cash uh, budget for a while. Oh, I was really also into, what's that lovely woman, uh, Till Debt Do Us Part? Oh, Gail Vaz Oxlade. Yeah, I yes, loved her. Yes, the Canadian. Loved her. Wow, She's a that's Canadian personality. <laughs> yeah. I did not heard of her. <laughs> no, yes. she did that show, uh, Till Debt Do Us Part. You oh, guys okay. She's know very well known. all the references. Like, between <laughs> the two of you, I feel like we're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's only because we keep learning from the community. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, but she she was she. I I don't know if she's still very active on TV yeah, or anything. I don't but think she, so. Yeah, she was fantastic. For, she was such she a was gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like mm -hmm. fresh air. And so I tried that. I did the money in the jars and. Okay, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Uh, and also I started separating out. Actually, there had been a small foreshadowing of a fire style lifestyle when I was really doing well with the translation business in 2007, I had so much money coming in, like for an artist, like I was like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I made like 7,000 profit in one month. Like it just like blew my mind. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so I started doing the thing where it's like, okay, 50% goes to needs. And then the other 50, you do 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, long-term savings, short-term savings, charity, education, and frivolous fun. And that was great. Like I got a taste of how well money management works when you actually apply it. But then once the crash happened and I wasn't translating anymore and I just, you know, it had sort of gone by the wayside. So, so with the MMM's like sort of overall philosophical, just like total system <laughs> yeah. there in front of me suddenly then, and also combining it with, uh, yeah, Gail Vaz Oxlade and, it just became like, okay, 
here's one thing that I can have certainty about in my life and that I can control in a good way. Like I can give myself this stability. But then it got, I got more into it in the last two years, especially it's been really hardcore and I have money to invest now and it's really exciting. So, <laughs> so the, those transitions, you, you know, sort of said five years ago, three, four years ago, how much of an impact was that not necessarily on the money in your life, but your emotional well-being and your outlook and things like that? Ooh, yes, that is a great question because I feel like unbeknownst to me, the money worry had been this like low-lying unconscious stressor for actually all of my marriage. And, uh, you know, I have a real, such good relations and thoughts for my ex, like we're both two strong, fiery, creative spirits. And we managed to do so much in the world. Like we actually at one point had a band going of original avant-garde music and a comedy act and our charity. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, we were not messing around. Like we were giving no. and giving and giving to the world. However, we, neither of us were, was really like shepherding the internal budget for the household. So it always felt a bit scary. Like, what's the visa budget going to be? You know, what's going to be on there? Do we even have enough? And it was just like this big question mark, which of course, when you ask it in that way, like it would totally have created an underlying anxiety or stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're totally right. That's the first thing that went away when I started doing fire in a really deliberate manner, because I, I knew like I was doing zero sum budgeting. Like I exactly knew where every dollar was going to go. And so suddenly that wasn't part of the, the barrel of anxiety, I guess. You know? <laughs> yeah. You scooped a ladle out of that barrel, right? Oh yeah. Like <laughs> and, a big bucket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And Chrissy and I, you know, Chrissy, we brought this up on the show before too, is that the benefits of FIRE and the journey to FI, they do start right away. Even mm -hmm. if you're not calculating them mathematically in your account or your investments, they emotionally, they start right away. Yes, so true, so true. <laughs> yeah. This is why, like, whenever people maybe are a little bit resistant or think, oh, no, like, I wouldn't be able to make those kind of numbers. Like, I don't have a IT job in Colorado or whatever. Yeah. Um, I always like to, do, okay, here's the analogy that I do or metaphor. I'm not sure <laughs> which term it is. Um, so imagine you're renting your home and you really want the walls to be pink, but right now they're blue. And so you're like, okay, should I bother? I don't, I don't own the home. But the thing is, the day after you paint those walls, you feel so good. <laughs> so it was already worth it, like within 48 hours. <laughs> so yeah, but in a money context, it's true. Like you start to feel better right away. And then it's like a game. And it's like, okay, well, how can I reduce these expenses? Mm -hmm. Like what life hack can I do? And then you're busy, you're employed in a fun, productive thing. <laughs> while you save money. like Yeah, yeah exactly. I find it the same thing. It, it just feeds on itself. The more you do, the more you want to do and you see the progress. And so it motivates you to just keep reaching higher and higher. And that's what drives the whole journey. Yeah, I really like the uh, Our Rich Journey couple as well on YouTube. Shout out to them. They, I find they're so, they have so much enthusiasm and they're so detailed. So, so I definitely got ideas from them on how to get going with everything and like what big life hacks I should do. <laughs> and so they're the family they have, is it two daughters? Yeah. And they moved from San Francisco to Portugal. Is that correct? Exactly. They planned their FI as though they would be in San Francisco still, but then they moved to Portugal. So they gave themselves tons of room and they're putting both of their daughters through private school in Portugal on an FI that I think started in their late 30s. They were both uh, mm -hmm. federal still employees. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And the, the girls, I think, are still in elementary school. So yeah, yeah, it's a nice young family. And like, they do little videos about investing, like the, the teenage girls or... Oh, not... do they? I haven't yeah. seen those. Okay. <laughs> well, really we'll have adorable. to put them in the show notes. That sounds fun. Yeah, they're so great. <laughs> yeah. So it's our rich journey because I 
I caught this in your reference in your book a couple times, but I haven't actually looked them up. So oh yeah, they're yeah. so lovely. They yeah. were. Okay. I believe they were interviewed on Choose Fi. It, oh, not okay. recently. It was a while back, but. Well, now they've got like 400 episodes you have to try and sort through to find to find those <laughs> really? ones that you want. 400? Uh, there's a lot. That's <laughs> wow. There's a lot. You have to do a, a web search and then go get it on your phone <laughs> on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, I must say the vibe I got from them was like a really strong work ethic, even in retirement. I'm doing air quotes for, <laughs> for yeah. people who are listening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my own fire journey, like, I will be doing very artistic things once I have enough money that I can just live off of that money. Like I have lots of ideas for just like avant-garde experiments I want to try with music or new hybrids Mm -hmm. of genres. And so it's exciting as an artist to come across this lifestyle and make it work. (laughs) So what does it look like in the next five to 10 years of your journey? Have you really worked hard at planning steps or you just got your systems in place and then kind of going, okay, I'm going to keep on this trajectory and work towards my goal. Have you set some hard goals? I find a lot of people that get into this, maybe get a little too fixated on an endpoint rather than kind of building, <laughs> building the journey as they go. What do you have any thoughts on what your plan is? Well, let me reassure you. <laughs> <laughs> I am not overly um, fixated on my, my end goal. I mean, I know a number, but I don't have like the year exactly that I'm gonna get there. But interestingly, I was very inspired by your episode with Eric Chang because I'm starting to get some residuals happening in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to create things that will have, I mean, in the music industry, you'd call it royalties, but it's like a product that you make, for instance, like this audiobook that I'm offering the world. And, since doing this first audiobook, I love the whole process so much that I come from a family of writers. So my mom is an author, and I'm actually turning several of her works into audiobooks. Nice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting. She did a adaptation of a Jane Austen novel into a play. She's actually done several. So yeah, I'm voicing Jane Austen plays. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'm throwing it out there that if you need a male voiceover, because I've thought of doing audiobooks as a side hustle for myself as well. Yes. So I love that idea of recruiting Money Mechanic because there are some iconic male roles in the Jane Austen novel world. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) It sounds like a challenging first try for me, but (laughs) I've been practicing with my podcast career. So there you go. Absolutely. Well, I love that you've got multiple streams of income coming in because I think that's such an important part about the fire journey. Is getting yeah. away from the one job that is a high risk to have one source of income, right? Yes, totally. And for someone who's joining the fire world a bit later, you realize that, oh, once you can get enough multiple streams, you realize that once you start getting enough multiple streams of income coming in to cover your basic costs, you're already in a kind of hybrid fire. Like you're at that coasting place. So I can see getting to the multiple streams of passive income that support my lifestyle milestone within four to five years. Nice. Like I'm I'm very confident about that based on the plans I'm making and my work ethic and, you know, and also that I've learned to live in a happy frugal manner. (laughs) I mean, I've always been like that as an artist. So it it actually is a really easy pivot into the fire planning. Uh, And then in terms of the growing the nest egg that where the interest from the nest egg itself can fuel your whole life, that is a 10 year goal for me. And I feel good about that one too. So yeah, I don't know exactly how I'm going to get there. Like I don't have each year planned out because I'm such an intuitive, you know, feel my way through life type person, as you see from the book that I made. And like, that's how I got into fire. I was like, oh, I feel better when I plan like this. And when I take on this way of thinking, however, it feels like there's these milestones and I send them a lot of positive energy and I send myself a lot of acceptance that I can make those milestones. So 
five to 10 years, bring nice. it on. That's amazing. <laughs> like you are a late starter. Uh, as you yeah. said, you found fire in your forties and you'll still yes. reach fire before a so, regular retirement age. Exactly. Like there is hope. Like everyone listening to this, <laughs> I don't care what age you're at, you can vastly improve your mm -hmm. financial outlook within a month, really, if we really mm -hmm. want to talk about it. Like yeah. once you make that budget, you're empowered. Like Money Mechanic was saying earlier, you already feel better like once you take that first step. And then within a year, you can see such dramatic change to a debt load and different things like that. And I feel like once you really put it out in the universe, there's a lot of people that want to help you to get your financial house in order. So it's yeah. been a great turn of events. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like a classic shift from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. And then yeah. you talk a lot about giving yourself permission to have that abundance mindset. And, and I think it's important to yes. qualify that abundance doesn't mean like having a lot of stuff. It just means mm -hmm. it's a bit of more of a way of thinking. Yeah, that's so true. I think of abundance now as uh, an abundance of really close relationships with wonderful people and time to spend with them. That idea of experiences as the thing that you collect in life. And also, I would say my home is more comfortable now that it's slightly more minimalist. So <laughs> it's like as you have less things, you actually you create a really enjoyable atmosphere around yourself of uh, focus on the things that really bring you joy. So like that Mary Kondo style, you know, does this mm -hmm. object really bring me joy? <laughs> but I feel like I applied that to everything. I was like, do these activities really bring me joy? Does this, you know, does this plan for my future really bring me joy? I just have to mention too, as a musician, that there was a switch. I tried for a while to make my living from music. And I actually did succeed. Like for the two years before COVID, I was making a steady part-time living as a freelance musician, which is a bit of a miracle in current times. And it was because I had a ton of training and I could p do all kinds of different genres and I just took all the gigs. And so I'm really proud of myself that I did it. Like I wanted to prove to myself that I could, but I love that now I'm going to make money in a bunch of different ways that will take hopefully less and less of my own time as it progresses. And then I can start to cherish music as this experimental place again, where I'm trying to bring something really new to the world. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for what that will bring. Are you taking hobbies and trying to monetize them? Because <laughs> I, anytime I bring this up to my wife, she's like, no, I don't want to monetize my hobby, right? Like I want a hobby. So I think for the listeners, there's always this kind of like, there's these people that are super pro side hustle, like go, 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 turn everything into monetization. Yeah. But that's exhausting if you just do that <laughs> and don't have any passion from it. So your multiple streams, were they hobbies? Were they just things that earned you money anyway, and that you've been able to sort of build them out and develop them now that you have them more focused on the time? That is such a great question. And it is something I've gotten more intentionful about in the last little while. So as an example, I love knitting. I will never make money from knitting. Like, <laughs> Most people can't. It's so time consuming. There's zero <laughs> chance. Like I'm a slow knitter. Like I do it to relax. You know, every couple months, one of my girlfriends gets a headband and is really <laughs> yeah. excited. Um, and I've seen people monetize the knitting space. And I, I looked at it briefly, but it's usually because they create patterns and mm -hmm. then they have a Patreon community that, you know, wants to access them. And I'm realizing that you can't really be a personality who gets support for a skill you have in more than a few domains at a time. Like maybe there are some people that can do that. So I know for sure that, you know, when I draw or knit or go for a hike, like that's just for me. And I would say if anything, actually, I'm slightly concentrating my residual income because I'm going to put it all through the stream of audiobooks. So I loved making this first one and I have a bunch more that I'm going to make. And I've decided that I'm going to commit to that as my way of offering value to the world. And it's good because then 
because I have such a varied like life history, I can channel those different things through in a book. <laughs> right. So that's like, that's the structural way that I've decided to give myself some boundaries. And I also, this is interesting because I only just decided to do this in my home, but I'm going to share it with you now. I have like the different rooms. So now that I don't have to rent out two of the rooms to get out of debt anymore, and if I say so myself, I'm quite good at budgeting, I can give myself the luxury of having this whole place to myself. And one room is for play and music. And my dad's vintage vibraphone is there. It's like oh, this cool. cool instrument he bought in like 1955. <laughs> um, and there's a, another keyboard there and I can plan jams with my friends. And so that's like the play music room. And then the middle room is my bedroom and Zen and meditation and writing for my own journaling. And then the front room that I'm sitting in now is my audiobook creation production center. So, How cool. So yeah. you have these physical spaces that help you compartmentalize the different parts of your life. Yes. And I really need to because I have someone <laughs> who tends to go off in lots of different directions. But yeah, I have my goal now. Like fire has given me a way to channel my intentions and goals. And so that I know that I'll have more and more freedom as I go. So it's very, it's very what relaxing. A luxury. <laughs> It's such a luxury that you've been able to give yourself all of that just by starting the fire journey and being on the path. It, it, it's I'm amazing. so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Christy, let's take a quick break and hear from this episode's sponsor because I know everyone's dying to hear more about this book and audiobook. We'll be right back. Have you ever listened to a podcast with great content but terrible audio? I know I have, and I've bailed on shows because it's too painful to listen. If you're a podcaster, you need to nail your audio. But if you're like me and have no idea how to do that, I know someone who can help. Max from Fix Audio is Explorify Canada's official editor and mixer. But I also like to call him my personal podcasting instructor. With Max's help, I've effortlessly and affordably improved my audio and podcasting. Now, just so you know, Fix Audio isn't your run-of-the-mill podcast production house. Instead, Max provides white glove treatment with hands-on personalized service. If you're ready to take your podcast to the next level, reach out to Max at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Okay, we are back and we're still talking to Anne about her journey into fire, but now I'd like to transition the conversation into some discussion about her living in Nova Scotia, you mentioned to us that there are some challenges and maybe some unique aspects about living in Nova Scotia. And because we are a cross-country show, we'd like to highlight anything that's unique about your area. So tell us a little more about what you meant by that. Awesome. Yes, Nova Scotia is an extremely beautiful place. I feel like I'm living in a provincial or federal park like all the time <laughs> just moving here so it's uh yeah it's incredible how close you can feel to nature and the power of the ocean and i mean you guys know as coastal dwellers uh so it was a big shift for me growing up in uh, a valley you know although we were surrounded by the great lakes but to come out here has been a beautiful thing and i'm i'm really grateful for that However, I definitely noticed the difference moving from Southern Ontario to the outskirts of the country. And, you know, Halifax is having an amazing boom right now. Like it's the last five years, like the number of condo buildings that are literally being built within a three block radius of me right now is astonishing. But it was traditionally thought of as a have not province, like very rich in beauty and natural resources, but not a lot of industry and steady work. And one of the uh, endemic problems has been waves of university students coming to Nova Scotia, absolutely loving it, but not being able to find work and stay. So I find it quite paradoxical as a province where we know there's a lot of money here because a lot of people will retire to Nova Scotia. Like, it's just so gorgeous. Like. You know, Cape Breton is like literally God's country. Like you, can, you can't get more beautiful when you're looking out on a vista and famous uh, American people have come up and sort of hide out here 
because everyone's so like low key. No one's going to admit that they know who you are <laughs> in a restaurant. Yeah, like a friend of mine that runs a health food store in Cape Breton, like Philip Glass, the composer, just like came in and bought some stuff from her. So, wow, it's yeah, it's a strange mix of um, there have been you know intergenerational poverty or there's the results of intergenerational poverty are real in parts of the province, but then also just like a feeling of support and friendliness and like a clan feeling like people really step up for one another. And it's very small place. Like everyone knows, I always joke, there's like a half degree of separation rather than the six degrees. So yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky here. Another thing is that the cost of living, although as the whole world seems to be discovering, our housing costs are lower. Day-to-day life, it can be quite expensive. And what people often notice is the price of food because so much of it has to get trucked that much further to get out to us. Of course, that isolation became a benefit in a way during the pandemic era Mm -hmm. because there haven't been many cases. However, yeah, it's just... It's a bit of a paradox out here. Like I've always kind of not quite understood how money works and trying to get a job has been really tricky. So I think that the move to distance workers and people having their job online and being able to live wherever they want is going to be really good for Nova Scotia because it's the perfect place for that. Like, Yeah, it sounds like in the Atlantic provinces in general, they're becoming little tech hubs in each of their major cities. And I I guess Mm -hmm. because the way work is changing, it's really benefited areas like yours where housing is affordable and now you can actually find jobs there and they're actually probably well-paying jobs. So it all adds up to a really good lifestyle, I think. Yeah, I mean, rush hour starts at 3 p.m. Not joking. Not joking. Same in Victoria, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. (laughs) And, you know, people can drive and be at the Lawrencetown Beach uh, surfing within 40 minutes of finishing their desk job or whatever. I'm not personally a surfer, although I do like a little bit of like, what's that, bodyboard surfing? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The gentle version. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I certainly spend a lot of time just like by the ocean and hiking and you can get there so quickly. You can bike there uh, if you're determined. Yeah, and so definitely drive. You found ways to get around the um, higher costs, and uh, you've also taken advantage of what is lower costs in Nova Scotia. Well, we all just make it work. Like we do potlucks, you know, and like share food, and it just becomes like as soon as it's a team effort, you can get around the challenges in Nova Scotia. But you definitely need to work with others and just like. It's humbling in a way because you, when some of the really big weather elements come in, you realize that you are dependent on everyone else. You know, I don't have a fireplace in my home, but I have a couple friends within a block who do. So if the power goes out and you're cold in the winter, <laughs> you know who you're going to run over and see. So. Yeah. Couch surfing time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's real. It's real. <laughs> um, but one other element from a macro or national economic perspective is that there was that $24 billion contract that the Irvings won to make to build boats in Halifax. And I'm sure that's having a positive effect. And that's why there's it's such a bull market on uh, building more accommodations and But yeah, it's very tricky. Like the housing, they actually just implemented a 2% cap on rental increases for the first time in Halifax because we have a shortage of housing. So it was going through the roof with the the increases. Interesting. I live in quite a trendy neighborhood and I've seen housing prices go from like, they'll sell for 200,000, maybe like five years ago, they'll get some renos and then sell for 600,000. So So it's happening. (laughs) For the rest of your foreseeable path, do you intend to stay a renter? Oh, great question. You know, I've listened to, what's that fellow, Grant Cardone, and he's, you know, Mr. Millionaire, Billionaire, and he's like, you got to rent so that all your money can be in the stock market or doing business plays. But I love the idea of owning my own home outright. Like, I'm super into that. I Actually, the current play is, um, I was talking with Eric Chang about this, is probably rural Nova Scotia right now. Yep. And I'm looking at land all the time right now in rural Nova Scotia. 
near uh what's that one spring hill the town that ann murray is from oh, okay <laughs> there's some lovely properties there and like that whole northumberland strait is some of the warmest swimming like that ocean huh. water that's protected by prince edward island is just beautiful to swim in so i've been picturing a hybrid lifestyle for myself where i keep my halifax pied à terre <laughs> like in my apartment here and just like maybe go back to the model of having roommates in this space and then start to build my beautiful passive solar minimalist wow. home on a south facing slope with a nice view awesome okay cool. so That's you are currently a homeowner you own your place. no oh, you i was okay. when i was married i because oh, my okay. husband already owned home and let me tell you okay here's another little psa to anyone going through a divorce <laughs> it is difficult and i'm you know who knows why but it is difficult as a single woman to get back into the housing market huh. i find like there's you know it can be a little bit more difficult to get a mortgage i have a great local branch now that i'm working with um and they get me and have a lot of confidence in me so i feel like i'm a new mortgage is in my future in the next three to five years however yeah it was tough at first and so if i had known i think i would have been a little more insistent on like okay don't don't buy me out of the house <laughs> let let me keep that house as okay. like my safety and security so you know that's just some real talk about all that stuff but again that was like two years before i discovered all of this wonderfulness so yeah i don't currently own but i have that owner's mindset where i treated this uh space as an asset and i rented it out to others to help me cover my living costs so, you know, when people are frustrated, like, oh, I don't own, so I can't make money from where mm -hmm. I live. You can if you, you know, do the rental of rooms model. Yeah, that flexibility and creativity. It gets the job done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now, luckily, I do have a down payment for whenever I can convince a bank. <laughs> to give you more Good for you. <laughs> Why wouldn't they want your money? I'm really. Right? <laughs> you would think. No, it's because I'm, I am a bit of an anomaly because I have a ridiculously high credit score. I have a down payment, but I can't really explain my income to them. <laughs> like, Got it. Listen, guys, I do a lot of different things. Yeah. Like, I help society. <laughs> yeah, banks don't like that. Right. We need mortgage brokers that understand the fire community. Yes, <laughs> exactly. right? I know. What I, do you mean I'm you need T four income? We don't have any T four income. We've got multiple streams. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so savings, true. let me tell you. You want to see my RRSP? That's right. Everything's on yeah. a T five. It's all passive income. <laughs> it's funny. They don't consider that. It doesn't matter no, how rich you are. They don't. They are. It, yeah. It's it is it is crazy. And it's I think we won't get into it too much right now, but it is a definite concern for the fire crowd that once mm -hmm. you yeah. quote unquote are fire and you don't have that strong T4 income anymore, yeah. you could have a yeah. ton of assets, you mm -hmm. could have a bunch of passive income and you technically don't qualify, which is frustrating, it's right? It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy because you're wealthier than most people yeah. and it doesn't <laughs> count for anything Not Exactly. you want yeah. to borrow money. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be more likely, you're right, to give a mortgage to someone who had a bunch of debt, mm -hmm. but could show that they're going to get their paycheck yeah. every two weeks or whatever. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. And I it, think there's a niche there for a new bank. Yeah, right. Well, this is, I mean, we're getting a little off track here, but this has come up before and we've <laughs> talked about it. We talked about it with Court from Modern Family. And it's, if you're going to, if you have a mortgage and you're going to fire, you may want to refinance into mm -hmm. some form of HELOC or something like that. Because yeah. if you keep a, if you keep a traditional mortgage and then you lose or you not lose, but you give up your T4 income, you may not like requalify or you won't be able to go and ask for more money from mm -hmm. the bank because you won't be able to prove any income, right? So it's definitely a consideration later on in everybody's fire journey. So anyway, that's wow. that's the aside for that from the home ownership <laughs> side of it. But it, I love yeah. your plan. I, and you know what I thought of when you were describing your uh, rural place, off-grid, self-sufficient, I love that. We played that clip at the beginning of this show and the part that I cut off was just after that, you start going into describing your the vision of your house. See the front door. See the kitchen window and the vista beyond it. And, and you get right into this nice, lovely feeling, this visualization where I'm actually picturing my dream house and what it looks like and how it feels. 
I'm ready to get into this a little bit more and let's dig a little bit into this about this book, about this audiobook, and about why you wrote it and you created you. First of all, let's talk about the visualizations you put in at the beginning of each chapter. It is a book about fire, but it's not one that anybody has ever read or listened mm-hmm. to before. So it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I realized that there's a lot of information about fire out in the world. However, that some people feel really blocked on seeing themselves or identifying with it. So that became my solution to put the visualizations in because then it becomes this channel where you can let go of any of your conscious blocks to the idea that you could even do fire and just start to get the enjoyment of what it would be like as an emotional experience. And it's very linked to that like law of attraction kind of stuff. But I've noticed that sometimes the law of attraction stuff is too far over in the feeling world. And then the like technical how to do something is over in a more logical space. So I was trying to like bring the two together in this seamless experience of taking care of all parts of yourself so that you're in a great space to do the action steps. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you succeeded at that because this book is not just about the soft side. You have a lot of really actionable tips in there, a very practical advice that's easy to understand and that anyone could just take and run with. And I was really impressed with how you wove it all together. It's these two very different aspects and yet you put them together beautifully in the book. Oh, thank you. That's so validating. I have to admit when I sent it off to you guys, because I really see you as like icons of the FI world. (laughs) And so I felt so validated that like it worked like, oh, okay. Like it must be accurate enough because it got past. (laughs) Scrutinization. Right. Like I was like, you know, because yeah, I worked hard on those technical aspects. I felt like if anything, I had to be even more on point with that stuff if I was going to bring in the more woo woo, like experiential, (laughs) emotional side. Like I had to really bring it. So yeah, that's why I spent so much time on that calculating your specific FI number. And I kept trying to come at it from different directions so that someone who's not very mathematically minded would have that aha moment Mm -hmm. of like, oh, this is how I calculate it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like your book is the perfect gift that you could give to someone and say, this is fire. This is how you get started. And this is how you get the ball rolling, get yourself in the right mindset. You don't have to know anything. You just take this book and you can learn what you need to know just to get the ball rolling and get it even into some of the more advanced stuff. So I... I think it's great for that purpose, for sure. Yay! I'm picturing it in the headphones of so many thousands of people and just like the positive ways that it can improve their life. Like it feels really good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I'll have to admit that for me, I'm definitely the analog- analytical sort where okay. I like my fire journey was crunching numbers like getting into i i love what you said at the beginning about mr money mustache because the diy that really speaks to me but when it comes down to it it's like i wanted to look at the numbers i needed to figure all that out and i don't put much weight into how my emotional well-being is about how i'm thinking about that so i found it interesting i i started off i said send me a copy to read and i started reading your book because you know what i also learned is i'm a visual learner I learn more ah, from reading. Okay. But as yeah. soon as I started reading your book, I'm reading this nice visualization to myself <laughs> in my head. And I'm just going, I need the audiobook. I have to get the <laughs> audiobook. And Chrissy, you do so awesome because, like, you listen to audio, like, you create blogs into audio. You listen to everything, which blows my mind. Wow. So, anyway, thanks so much. I got the audiobook. And for me, it was the visualizations which I wouldn't have put much weight in before because that's not something I get myself involved in. But by, <laughs> but by listening to it, it did kind of, it just opens, it felt like it opened up my, uh, just, I guess emotionally, it just opened me a little bit to accept the information that was, that you were going to give to me. And even though, you know, cool. we consume so much content, it's not that we get a lot of new stuff out of books, but we get new perspectives and we know they're mm-hmm. going to speak to different people. That's where the real value is. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's, oh, you sum it up so well, but I, I hadn't thought about that exactly, but it's true. It's like you're preparing your unconscious to be able to take in the mm-hmm. wisdom of fire. Exactly. Because it's it's such a profound movement. I mean, I know I'm 
speaking to the choir here, but like, like we all get it, but it's like, how can I get people that don't understand how awesome this is to come in and feel the gentleness of it all? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and then another interesting thing, just to give you some backstory, I had initially written this book thinking I should just write it for women. I was like, okay, well, it's like a woman's perspective. But of course, the times we live now, like there's such a big opening up around like gender identity and awareness. And, you know, one of my guy friends expressed a bunch of interest in it. And I was like, oh, wait a second. So I did a rewrite at the end to make it, you know, for everyone. And and I think that we all have like our masculine and feminine energies and it can be like stronger or less strong. And so I surprisingly do like working with a spreadsheet and like get really into crunching numbers, but I have friends who aren't as much into it, but then maybe they can be so strong on just like being in that zone of abundance that they'll go on their fire journey, you know? Right. (laughs) They'll, they'll intuit their way there. But I think the healthiest is like that hybrid where, yeah, you spend time in both zones and then they feed into one another. And I want to discuss one big aspect of your book that, um, I, I kind of feel like your book is like free therapy. <laughs> it, it's kind of woven in because you talk a lot about this EFT, emotional freedom therapy technique, technique yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, where you do this tapping. And I have heard about this before and I am a big proponent of therapy and um, meditation yes. and CBT because I, I had postpartum depression with both my kids and, and okay. I do have ongoing anxiety when, you know, when I get stressed. So it was helpful to learn about this new technique that sounds so easy and so simple. And you actually include some guided um, EFT sessions yes. at the end that are really helpful. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about that, because I think some people do get really stuck when it comes to money. And this is a technique that it's free. It's easy. Uh, you don't need any special training to do it. You could learn it in five minutes, but it could really help you to get unstuck if there's some part of your journey that you can't get past. So tell us a little more about EFT and how it could help someone in their journey. Okay. So I actually found out about EFT in the early 2000s when I was still a cool indie rocker chick. (laughs) And I ordered it in because I was getting crippling stage fright. Like I was just so nervous when I would go to perform that all the hours of training, you know, it was like my voice would just go away. And I was like, what's going on? So I was really, really motivated to figure out a way to reduce anxiety in about specific topics. And I came across Gary Craig and his EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique Tapping ordered a bunch of DVDs and, you know, it's this very formal, you know, man and woman sitting in front of a big uh, set of like fake flowers, just like very slowly telling you, okay, you're going to tap on these parts of your body while you say these things and you're going to miraculously feel better. (laughs) It does sound crazy. (laughs) Right? Like I could not believe it. Like I was like, what are you doing, Anne? And then like (laughs) band members would walk in and be like, hmm. And what what are you up to over there? And I'm like, whatever, just like. <laughs> um, but then I started tapping. Like I started doing the tapping and I would say that even though I have this problem, I deeply love and accept myself, which is a profound statement to even say out loud. And sure enough, my headache would go away. Or my friend who totally didn't believe in tapping, his headache would go away. And we'd both like sit there looking at each other like, what just happened? So, you know, cut 20 years later, there's um, a lot of research being done on tapping now. And there's this wonderful Harvard professor named Dawson Church. And he has proven that you have a about a 30% reduction in your cortisol levels after tapping. Uh, I forget how long the tapping session is for that, if it's 10 minutes or an hour, but like it's a controlled study. And then there's also an amazing woman in Australia, Dr. Peta Stapleton. And she's doing studies where she'll have someone put a food they're addicted to in front of them. And then they do a brain scan in one of those machines. And then they'll tap for an hour. And then they do another brain scan. And all the areas of the brain that we're lighting up don't light up anymore. Like there's been a change in Mm -hmm. the electromagnetic activity. So now I'm 
I feel like I can come out of the closet about my tapping. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's a scientific yeah, backing. Yeah, much more, you know, yeah. and like my friends know me as a tapper and like my family knows that I tap. Like if, <laughs> if an upsetting story comes on the news, I might start tapping because I'm just like high sensitive and I know it's going to go somewhere in my system. And like my sister used to look over and be like, why, why are you tapping? What did I do? And I'm like, no, no, don't worry. <laughs> it's something else, something else. The TV. Um, but yeah, it happens to apply very well to any blocks around abundance and around the idea of, oh, I can't budget or, oh, I can't, like any aspect of the fire journey that you have an internal block about, you can use EFT tapping to address it. And I just think of it as like the enzyme that helps all the other interactions to take place. So yeah, that's why I included it as a bonus, like EFT tap along scripts at the end. But I tell people in the first chapter, I'm like, if you're having trouble doing this visualization, just like jump ahead and go do some tapping, you know, release those blocks and then get back in. So you're right. There's a very therapeutic element to this. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. And I did try it over the last few days. I've been trying. I've been watching videos and listening to awesome. some of your recordings and some other recordings. And I, I can't say I found it life changing yet, <laughs> but I do find it soothing when I've been there doing it. I found it to be very soothing. And so I think I just need to spend more time doing it. But I'm fascinated uh -huh. because I've read some of the same scientific literature that you've mentioned, where I, I think they tested a bunch of people and the people who did tapping saw a 40% reduction in their cortisol. And the people who had just, I think it was maybe talk therapy, they saw maybe an 18% reduction. But then they had some other people doing nothing. I think they were maybe even looking at social media okay. at, during the same period of time. And then their cortisol went up <laughs> by 2% or something. So Poor there is evidence that it <laughs> yeah. works. Yeah, I know, I know. It works. So, it, and it's, like I said, it's free, it's quick, it's easy. So why not give it a try? And it, it's nice that you included it in the book because it's a good intro and it, you really relate it to the fire journey, which Yay. is helpful. Well, since you mentioned social media, my current favorite social media app is Clubhouse. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. I've heard and of it, so yeah. I have a club on Clubhouse, which I call Happy Life Depot. And I just go on and offer a free tapping sometimes. So if someone wants to come and find me on there, because it's very good, like done on your own, as you guys can see, like I tap a lot. <laughs> but when you tap in a group, it's amazing. Like it really seems to the collective intention seems to do something and, and there's an art of delivery to tapping. So you can get even better at mining what your own internal thoughts are. And the more specific you are about what you're tapping about the more profound your own results will be. Or you can get someone to coach you in it. And then like, I actually, I didn't want to mention it because there's just like so many different things I've done, but I have been an EFT coach as well. Like I did one-on-one -on -one wow. work with people and it was, you know, people who had really profound traumas and we really moved the needle for them. So yeah, it's exciting. I love applying it to money. Like it's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it just fast tracks your journey. Like, Yeah, it's so flexible. You can use it for anything, yeah. really, like whether it's physical ailments, emotional or uh, even yeah. your money. It's it's crazy how flexible and wide ranging it is. Even though I didn't start the fire journey till I was in my 40s, I deeply love and accept myself. Like, you got to know <laughs> yes. that was one of the ones yeah. I tapped on before I launched into all of this. Yeah. And like, look at me now, you know, yeah. like I'm I'm going to exactly. help others. Like, I really want to help other people by sharing how I got here. So. Yeah, I think there could be a lot of shame and embarrassment exactly. for people who are late to the journey yeah. and it, it shouldn't be there, you know, uh, but that could be something that's really hard for someone to get unstuck yeah. and get moving on. Well, and on. it's interesting you bring up that with the words shame and guilt because from an artistic community space, sometimes the the guilt is around the idea of even amassing a bunch of money. Mm. So that is yeah. something I did a bunch of tapping about. And also just like spiritual exploration and, you know, just really like prayed about it. Like, what is a good way to make money in the world? Is it okay for me to mm -hmm. have, you know, what seems like this big sum of money that's just working for me? <laughs> like, like it's, yeah. you know, I've made peace with it, but. <laughs> yeah, how to not feel that that's a, a selfish endeavor. Yeah. yeah. 
right? Being okay with it, that it, you're not doing it for selfish reasons. And I would say where I got to with it, I think partly it's as you, as you mature, you realize like, we do have to take care of ourselves. Like as mortal mm -hmm. beings, we, we need resources to live. I actually, I never finished it, but one time I wrote, I started writing this musical about food and <laughs> there was going to be, as I do, but um, there was going to be a character <laughs> in it who she felt so bad about resources that she didn't even want to breathe in air because she thought, oh, someone else oh. could have that air. And I was trying to speak to, you know, the epidemic of anorexia and things that we saw, like, especially in the 90s, like when I was a teenager, like, you know, it's, it's a real thing, this idea of like resources and are you allowed to have them even in our, our very privileged Canadian life. And I think where I started to make, oh, and so to back to that musical, there was another character and he was like, I never met a bit of butter that I didn't like, <laughs> like he just, he would eat anything. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I looked at the different extremes and then started to realize that it is okay for an individual to be self-sustaining. And in fact, it's even more of an imperative as our overall financial structure moves away from one where one company is gonna take care of you for your whole life. And also we see the rise in automization. So there's a lot of different jobs that are gonna go away. And this kind of creative thinking that we're incubating in the fire movement of being very self-sufficient and having different modes of generating value is probably what the whole world is gonna turn to over time. And once I am self-sufficient, I won't be a burden to people around me. And in fact, I can give like, and I really mm -hmm. deeply want to mm -hmm. do that. And, and I'm not just saying that. And like, as you know, like I literally put eight years of my life into that quite underpaid, but very valiant work of doing social change through a nonprofit. And so I think now that I'm in my fire mindset, I just want to get to a place where I know that my own future is assured but then I'm going to go back to doing all of that wonderful work. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so important to mention because a lot of people outside of the fire community see us as selfish, maybe, and maybe um, freeloaders, when in fact, it's the complete opposite. A lot of times they think that we are taking advantage of the system or that, you know, we, we hold all this wealth. And like you said, it, it's just to support ourselves and no one else. But in fact, it's what frees us to give back to the world in meaningful ways and in ways that other people maybe can't afford to because it's low paid labor or unpaid labor. But we do it because we care and we're passionate and we have the means to support ourselves. And so it frees us to give back in ways that I think are really meaningful and important. So well said. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> as you we're describing that how you know if you are working for someone else your whole life you c then can argue that that other person is the selfish person because they're taking your labor and time and then we get into the kind of class struggles where big swaths of people feel that they are being taken advantage of and rightly so they feel that way you know if they haven't managed to develop their own nest egg that allows them to thrive in our capitalist structure. And I didn't mean to go this deep, right? I didn't think about this until <laughs> you started asking questions this way. But I'm realizing that in a strange way, there's there's a, a healthy rebellion to what we're doing, where we're saying, okay, let's make the capitalist system work for every single individual who is living inside of it in a really like low-key empowering way. And we know when someone's just in it for a sort of money, endless money amassing, you know, more sort of greed mindset. And that really doesn't resonate with me at all. Like, I'm so looking forward to all the things that I'm going to do once I have my sustaining amount of money. So, yeah, if we're going to do the PSA for the fire movement, I feel like this is what should underlie it. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. Well, I don't know about you, Chrissy, but I feel this episode has been very interesting in a lot of different ways that we don't talk about. We didn't get heavy into numbers, mm -hmm. which is kind of nice change because that's not what the fire movement's all about. It's about reclaiming your time, you know, being joyful, living your best life. 
and not being in a rush and it's kind of helped us see a lot of that. And I think that's one thing that I did like about her. I mean, not the only thing, but that I liked about the audiobook was just that different perspective. You know, for people that are getting new to the fire community, there's lots of information that's actionable in there. But this also gives you just a, a bit softer approach to it rather than just super hard numbers, super frugal. This is like, do it that's going to make you feel good to get there. So it was such a pleasure to have you on. And we've had a lot of fun. And I could see us chatting again in the future because I don't think we're done. We kind of explored some topics we could dig into a little further. But you're our first guest from uh, Nova Scotia. So that's much appreciated. And your book is, please tell everybody more, a little bit about the book, where they can find it, where they can find you, apart from Clubhouse. Uh, go for it. Advertise yourself, please. Oh, thank you so, so much. So the book is called Find Your Freedom with Fire, which of course stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early, Save, Invest, and Manifest Your Way to Easy Street. And I wrote it and put it up on Audible. So you can hear me narrating it there on Audible on all the different platforms and countries. And then you can check out my website, anhelga.ca. And you'll see the other sides of my personality too. So the music that I do, but also, yes, I'm on Clubhouse. I have a Happy Life Depot club there. And uh, I just want to help as many people as possible feel comfortable about the idea of getting into fire on their own gentle and intuitive terms. So yeah, I'm just so grateful. It's been very, very fun talking with you guys. Well, thank you. And I'm glad you put your book out into the world because as Money Mechanic has said, it's it's very unique. It's a different take on the fire journey. And I think it's important to showcase the softer side of the journey as it will speak to uh, a lot of people in a way that they haven't heard before. Yay. <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Anne. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Um, until next time, everyone, take care and uh, enjoy your fire journey. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. Leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends and family about us or use our referral links at explorefycanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at explorefycanada.ca. You can also find us on our other websites, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Our show is edited and mixed by Max Desmarais at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Episode transcripts were created in otter.ai.